When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. When we think about President Biden, not unlike the stock market, his stock is down. So much of the first year was about COVID and the economy. The second year will have to touch on some foreign policy. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. We're coming quickly to a crunch point where we're going to know either way what Russia's intentions are. He's hit a roadblock in the Senate. I think we're ready to get out of this vortex and see some legislation happen. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. There's no such thing as a quiet day around here. Not anymore. Just imagine what you would miss without the fastest hour in politics. Today, President Biden makes it real, confirming the retirement of Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer. So here we go. The president pledging to make good on his campaign promise when he picks a nominee. We'll talk about the shortlist and the legacy of Justice Breyer with the top Supreme Court reporter, in the country, Bloomberg own Greg Store. Later, our conversation with former Ambassador Daniel Fried as we turn to geopolitics this hour. President Biden on the phone today with the president of Ukraine, and we'll have the latest on the standoff. Our panel, Bloomberg politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano, along with Republican strategist Greta Joins with us. The president called it a bittersweet moment today when he walked into the Roosevelt Room at the White House. Walked in alongside Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer. You heard it all live on Bloomberg, of course, as the president confirmed today, confirmed the news of Breyer's retirement that we were talking about yesterday. And everybody was speaking in hypotheticals in the West Wing. A lot different today. As they both appeared before cameras and addressed the nation, the president went on to say that he will make good as well on his campaign pledge about the court. Here's President Biden. Our process is going to be rigorous. I will select the nominee worthy of Justice Breyer's legacy of excellence and decency. While I've been studying candidates' backgrounds and writings, I've made no decision except one. The person I will nominate will be someone with extraordinary qualifications, character, experience, and integrity. And that person will be the first black woman ever nominated to the United States Supreme Court. It's long overdue, in my view. I made that commitment during the campaign for president, I will keep that commitment. That is where we would begin with Bloomberg Supreme Court reporter Greg Storr. It's great to have you, Greg. I've been looking forward to talking this through with you. As you write in your piece about Breyer's exit strategy and some of the names that we're hearing about here, that his timing extends, I like the way you put this, what has become known as accepted practice. The last six justices to retire did so with a president all but certain to nominate a largely like-minded successor. 
That's the case again this time, right? It's still going to be a 6-3 court, but this president is taking his search in a very different direction. He's looking for diversity, not only in background, but, but also in opinion, Greg. Yeah, that's right. Uh, he has, as you, as you heard, we heard, uh, said he's going to nominate the first black woman to the Supreme Court. Uh, but he also, you know, uh, hailed Justice Breyer and said he wants somebody who will continue his tradition. Um, Justice Breyer was very much a consensus builder on the court. He was a pragmatist. Uh, he was the kind of justice who was a liberal on the divisive cases, but was willing to try to work with the conservative majority to see if he could get them to soften their opinion in a way that he might be able to join it. Um, it remains to be seen whether his successor will be that kind of consensus builder as well, or will be a little more like, say, a Sonia Sotomayor, who was more inclined just to say, I think what the majority is doing wrong, and I'm not willing to agree even to a part of that. So we're going to have a nominee by the end of February, right? That's the plan here. I don't know how close uh, to that timing the president, I think he said he intends to, was the language he used by the end of February. Does this timeline make sense to you? Chuck Schumer's talking about 30 days. We're going to get this done like they did Amy Coney Barrett, or is that unrealistic? Well, if Democrats are, are uh, committed to doing that, it does make some sense. Certainly uh, a precedent was set with with Amy Coney Barrett. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, uh, back uh, before the, the 2020 election. Um, you know, doing that uh, has the benefit of the nominees not hanging out there as long so that opponents can take uh, shots at her, dig up additional dirt that might be used against her in the confirmation process. Um, you know, it, it would mean an unusual situation that we haven't had uh, in, in quite some time where a, a new justice is confirmed but doesn't actually take her seat until uh, probably July when the mm -hmm. Supreme Court term ends. Uh, but there's no reason Democrats, Democrats can't do that if they have their mindset to it. Uh, that is, uh, of course, the, the, the narrative that we're hearing from Democrats. We spoke earlier today with uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn, Republican on the judiciary. She's already talking about timing with this being uh, close to an election and a president who has very low approval numbers, uh, reminding all of us that Amy Coney Barrett was confirmed the week before a presidential election. Right. And this, of course, is a midterm election. Yeah. So um, is that a factor now or are we just hearing bluster at the beginning here? Uh, well, it's certainly you know, bluster from Republicans. It, it is a, something they can point to, and, and surely Joe Biden's approval ratings are not good. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> that being said, uh, Democrats do have control of the Senate right now because of, of Kamala Harris's tie-breaking vote. Uh, <clears throat> and so they don't need any, any Republican support to uh, get this nominee through and confirmed. Do you like the names that we're hearing uh, on the short list so far? You've got a new piece out on this, as a matter of fact on the terminal and the, the leading contenders for this nomination. Yeah, so the name that is, is, is certainly at the forefront is Katanji Brown-Jackson. Yeah. She is a judge who was, was nominated by Biden and confirmed by the Senate to serve on the D.C. Circuit uh, mm -hmm. here in Washington. We've talked about her quite a bit over the last, I guess, 24 hours here, Greg. Uh, can we keep hearing that three Republicans, including Lindsey Graham, voted for her. Would that happen again in this yeah. case? Not necessarily. Uh, Lindsey Graham has certainly left himself open to vote differently on her nomination if it is to the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. um, wouldn't totally rule it out because uh, somebody like Graham and, and there's also Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski uh, do see themselves as somebody who, who, who like to defer to the president on nominations uh, if they can. So there's at least a possibility. And, of course, don't forget the political dynamic of 
the, the political cost if you are voting against uh, the first female, uh, black female yes, nominee right. to the Supreme Court. You remember a day when, you know, senators wouldn't even meet with Merrick Garland. Uh, we're not going to see that this time around, right? Everyone gets uh, a fair shake, gets a sit down with members of the committee and then the larger body. Yeah, every reason to think we, we will. Uh, certainly there won't be the kind of blockade where Republicans simply say we're going to pretend like this nomination doesn't exist. Yeah. We've heard names like Kruger. We've heard Childs. Uh, does anyone come close to Ketanji Brown-Jackson as a frontrunner? Well, Leandra Kruger, I would not rule her out by any means. Uh, she is uh, somebody who has excellent credentials herself. She uh, is also a former Supreme Court law clerk. She has argued many times at the Supreme Court uh, while working in the Solicitor General's office. Uh, she's somebody who the Biden administration wanted to come back to Washington to be in the administration as Solicitor General, but she chose to remain on the California Supreme Court. Uh, she's generally perceived as a bit more of a moderate, uh, more of an incrementalist, a, a very cautious jurist on the California Supreme Court. And then, you know, wouldn't totally rule out Michelle Childs either. She's also been nominated to the D.C. Circuit yeah. as a supporter of, of, of Congress, uh, Jim Clyburn. Uh, Congressman Clyburn. Uh, How important is that to, to make good on Congressman Clyburn and, and the, the heavy lifting he did for Joe Biden on the campaign trail? It's probably overstated to say that Joe Biden needs to repay him. Uh, certainly, it means that he will give her, uh, you know, consideration, uh, you know, respectful consideration. Um, but one of the advantages that somebody like Ketanji Brown Jackson has is that she has been through that Senate confirmation process before. Yes, it was for an appeals court, but she is a little more of a known commodity in terms of getting confirmed, and she's somebody who who President Biden met with when she was uh, nominated to that position. I want to hear uh, a little bit uh, from the, the justice, Justice Breyer, who spoke today in this event. It's, to, you know, look, I know this is your beat, Greg, but for most of us, we don't usually see and hear justices speaking live, certainly not live on television in a, in a sort of informal uh, uh, moment. Like he's leaning on the podium. He's talking about his grandkids, he's pulling his constitution out of his pocket. If we can jump ahead to Supreme Court Justice Breyer from earlier today, here he is my grandchildren and their children. They'll determine whether the experiment still works. And of course, I am an optimist, and I'm pretty sure it will. Does it surprise you that that's the thought that comes into my mind today? Does it surprise you, Greg, for an 83-year-old having experienced what he has to have that optimistic tone? Well, it's just always been the Stephen Breyer that, that, that I've been, been able to watch on, on the bench. He is indeed an optimist. Um, he, uh, you know, believes in the court, the system. Uh, he's been, been believing that even in spite of the, the, you know, the divisiveness we've all experienced over the past few years. Uh, you, you know, he uh, can, you know, be very disappointed in dissent, but he, he never loses his respect for the institution and the court. Well, that's for sure. I mean, to be to be talking about the American experience or experiment rather in in a in a time like this, in a time of division, uh, is really something. He seems to believe in this, despite what we're seeing around us. He he seemed to have a message of of tuning things out. Uh, what does he want his legacy to look like? Well, that that optimism is certainly part of it. Uh, the, the belief that. Uh, the, the 
Supreme Court and this country will continue to endure because people will respect the decisions of the court even if they disagree with them. That mm -hmm. is central to, to uh, it, you know, what he believes, and uh, it, certainly he will want that to be part of it. And then in terms of just his, the way he approached the law, he is very much a believer that the law should um, should be a workable thing, that when judges are interpreting statutes that they try to think hard about what Congress was trying to get at and what the consequences will be. Yeah. That's a little bit out of style, that form of judging. It's a little bit more of a, hey, just look at the text of the statute. Uh, and so that part of Justice Breyer's legacy uh, you know, may have to wait to be revived in some, some future point in, our, in the, American, uh, the American story. Well, I guess it's, uh, it's no wonder... Uh, I'll point you to Greg's pieces on the terminal, not just the short list, but also Biden's first Supreme Court selection with Greg Store. Thanks for being with us, Greg, on Bloomberg Sound On. We'll assemble the panel next. Jeannie Shanzano with us today, along with Greta Joins, Republican strategist. They'll be here next to hash this out. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. President Biden says he will nominate the first black woman to the Supreme Court, as promised on the campaign trail. But do you know that would also mean only the third black justice ever and only the sixth woman in the court's history? It's kind of amazing when you think about that in 2022. Let's assemble the panel with Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano back with us. Can't do a program without Jeannie. Greta Joins is with us today as well, Republican strategist, co-chair of Brownstein Hyatt, Farber, Shrek's tech and telecom practice. It's great to have both of you here. Jeannie, as we look through the short list, it's interesting to consider uh, the president here and his words today. Why not just tell the American people that you are going to pick the most qualified person and then prove through your actions that you're making good on your promise? Why did he have to articulate that the way he did? 
You know, I think because in the last 24, 48 hours since we got an inkling that this was coming today, there had been so many questions as to whether he was going to be faithful to his promise from last year. And Jen Psaki was asked yesterday, and so I think he wanted to reiterate today that he absolutely was. And of course, there's political reasons to do that as well. This is critically important to the Democratic base, and it is something that the administration feels will get Democrats animated and energized, particularly now when they've had sort of a bad couple weeks in terms of some of the news out there and his poll numbers are down. This was a very positive uh, indication for Democrats. They were excited yesterday when they heard this. So they wanted to make this case that they were he was going to be faithful to that promise. And of course, to your point, it is important. 116 nominations or, or confirmed <laughs> Supreme Court justices in history. Yeah. Never have we had an African-American wim- woman despite amazing. the talent out there. Greta, what will be, what should be Republicans' posture from here in dealing with this? Obviously, the numbers are stacked against them. I mean, I think Republicans are looking at this as as something they're not going to make too much hay over, you know, depending on who the nominee is, of course. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, you're replacing a liberal justice with likely another liberal justice. I, I don't think there's a ton of political upside for Republicans to engage very aggressively on what will ultimately be a historic pick by by President Biden. Is there political upside to slow things down, maybe poke some holes in this nomination? I think that highlighting the nominee's potential issues that, you know, could be viewed as overly liberal could be positive for Republicans, especially as they target um, swing state Democrats that are up for re-election. But, you know, there there are some solid candidates out there that have gotten Republican votes on their confirmations. I think if President Biden picks one of those individuals, that it will be hard for Republicans to engage very aggressively on that type of a confirmation process. That's pretty fascinating. Jeannie, we've heard uh, Justice Breyer described repeatedly over the past 24 hours as a consensus builder, as a pragmatist. Greg Storr used both of those words Uh, to describe him. How much will this pick, whomever it might be, the president says he's already running running through bios and opinions, how much does that need to be trans? Do we need another pragmatist, another consensus builder, or are we kind of beyond that now? Well, I think it's fascinating because, as Greg was just saying, Leandra Kruger, who's sort of the second name mentioned most often out of California, Mm -hmm. she is a much more cautious, moderate sort of pragmatist of the three that we're hearing about. But, of course, Jackson Brown not only got through confirmation, but she clerked for Breyer, and that is critically important. We can't forget that was one of the reasons that Kennedy felt a little more comfortable retiring because Kavanaugh had clerked for him. He liked him. He knew him. So that's also critically important. One thing I want to point out is we often describe Justice Breyer as a liberal, but we need to look at some of the data here. Epstein and Martin and the Quinn study all show while he was a liberal, he was a bit more conservative than the than the people he served with, namely Ginsburg, Sotomayor, and Kagan. Yeah. So the whoever is appointed could move his seat not the court, but is see a little bit more to the left, depending well, on who it is. Well, and that's a concern for progressives, right? That we're actually talking center left here, really, when it when it comes to to Justice Breyer. Uh, how does that hit you, though, Greta? Knowing, uh, as we've we've said a number of times, that that, that Katanji Brown Jackson has already gone through it, already been vetted, got the got three Republican votes, including Lindsey Graham. Does that give her a leg up? 
I mean, I, I think it does to some extent. Of course, everything will be reexamined and looked at because the Supreme Court is obviously a very different role and, it, and it's a different position and it requires a lot more scrutiny on, on the part of the committee. But ultimately, I think that, you know, the president wants to certainly pivot to someone that that he can go back to people who supported him in, in the election and say mm-hmm. that I have delivered on a promise. Mm-hmm. And whomever that individual is will certainly face scrutiny. But I, I think that Republicans will, um, you know, be a little nerdier in their um in their reviews of, of legal precedent as opposed to, you know, trying to set the, the nomination in a direction that will ultimately be very damaging to that individual. Jeannie, we only have a minute. Is this the end of an era or are we making too much in that direction? It, it is an end of an era in many ways. I mean, one example is Breyer was confirmed with Biden leading the Senate Judiciary Committee with almost 90 votes. Whoever is nominated and if they are confirmed regardless of, you know, putting aside if there are any issues that arise, it is probably going to be much more of a party line vote, not because of anything they've done or Mm -hmm. said, but because of how polarized the Senate is. So it is a big change in terms of these confirmation hearings, if nothing else. Jeannie is killing this story. It's great to have your insights, Jeannie Shanzano. Greta joins our panel for today. They'll be back as we turn to geopolitics, Russia, Ukraine, and a conversation with former Ambassador Daniel Fried. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg News reporting President Biden got on the horn today with the president of Ukraine. Well, they do have some things to talk about. Not that we should read too far into this conversation. According to White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, here she is. Well, I would view this call uh, as part of regular engagement with the Ukrainian government. With the Ukrainian government, this will be the third time the president and uh, and President Zelensky have spoken in just the last few weeks since December. Uh, they'll discuss the latest diplomatic and deterrence efforts with Russia. The president will reaffirm the United States' commitment to supporting Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity, and our commitment to nothing about Ukraine without Ukraine. But this is more of a check-in call than it is a call where there is a specific announcement being delivered check-in not to be confused with the pop-in not a fan of the pop-in but that's not all that's going on here the outreach continues with our european allies as we now understand as well president biden will host german chancellor olaf schultz next month to discuss this whole situation amid questions over germany's resolve to stand firm against russia and there are a lot of questions about that right now a lot of vested economic interests and so we turn to former Ambassador Daniel Fried for wisdom, a wiser family, distinguished fellow at the Atlantic Council. This is someone who understands that part of the world, former National Security Council senior director and former ambassador to Poland, former assistant secretary of state for Europe. Ambassador, I'd keep going if this business card allowed me. Welcome. It's great to have you. And I wonder how concerned you are about our European allies at this stage with vested financial interests in their relationship with Russia. Is Germany your biggest concern? I'm not as skeptical about where Germany's going to be if Putin attacks Ukraine again mm-hmm. and we get into a major confrontation. I think, look, the, Ger- the new German government has been all over the map. They've been contradicting each other on an almost daily basis, as they were last week. I mean, they were almost as bad as an American administration when it's divided, right? Different voices, different lines. But the German government has slowly, inconsistently, in a kind of a crab-like fashion, been moving in the right direction. Hmm. 
The foreign minister is of the Green Party, takes a very tough position against Putin's autocracy and its threats against Ukraine. The Social Democrats, who have traditionally been somewhere between naive and fatuous about the Russians in many cases, you know, dialogue, even in the face of Russian attacks on its neighbors, Mm -hmm. they are beginning to to have second thoughts about the wisdom of coddling Putin. How long can this standoff uh, go on for? We understand that there'll be talks again between Russia and Ukraine with some European uh, Sherpas in two weeks' time. How long can Vladimir Putin keep 100,000 troops on the border without this becoming something much worse? Well, that's the question. Putin, however, knows that a full-scale war against Ukraine is a big roll of the dice. Mm. The Ukrainians will fight. The Americans will send troops to NATO's eastern flank countries, and we will increase our military assistance for Ukraine. The sanctions that are being prepared, in fact, I think are prepared, are going to hit the Russian economy very hard if Putin moves in. I think he knows this. The Biden administration had a slow start, but it has done a credible job pulling together the allies. And as I said, I'm more optimistic about where Germany's going to be in the end than some. Is it possible to have sanctions hmm. that actually hurt Russia without also hurting Europe? Ah, there is no such thing as risk-free and cost-free sanctions. It'll hurt a lot of companies, including American ones. But our risk tolerance has to rise in the face of an actual land war in Europe. And I think that the sanctions being prepared are ones that the Europeans have signed on to if Russia attacks. These are going to be complicated to implement, but they could hit Russia very hard. I think the Biden administration has led this process. Uh, I have have a pretty good guess as to what's in the sanctions package. Yeah, it'll hurt the Russians. And I'll tell you something else. Back when I was doing sanctions after Putin's first attack on Ukraine, Hmm. I had East European countries who said our economies have been hurt by these sanctions, but we want them, we support them, because we know what the alternative is, and it's worse. Ambassador, Uh, why wait then? Why not do something now? Why are we waiting for someone to cross the border, or, or is that the way you would have handled this? Oh, it's very much the way I would have handled it. If you sanction now, uh, Putin will say, well, why shouldn't I move? I've already been hit. So that triggers an invasion. The trick is, the trick, well, an invasion or some lesser form of Russian Russian aggression. Mm -hmm. That's going to be a problem for the United States and for Europe. Uh, President Biden got tripped up trying to describe the dilemma um, of a Western response to a Putin to Putin aggression against Ukraine, which is less than a full-on invasion. That's a tough problem. But the administration has said any kind of military attack, new military attack on Ukraine, will uh, trigger a response. And I think there's a good argument for it. Ambassador, I'd love to to have more time with you. We could do an hour on this. And I appreciate your thoughts today. Former Ambassador Daniel Fried. Former ambassador to Poland, former assistant secretary of state for Europe, knows what he is talking about with sanctions and a fascinating bit of information there. We'll turn it over to the panel next. 
Jeannie and Greta are with us this hour. I'm Joe Matthew, and this is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. It was refreshing, I think, to hear optimism from former Ambassador Daniel Fried, if only about our allies in Europe regarding the standoff with Russia. But I'll tell you what, these are not the kind of headlines you want to wake up to. Pentagon sees more Russian troops near Ukraine. This on the terminal, our Ukraine update. Boy, this thing is getting long. They're updating it throughout the day, and it's really worth your time if you want to understand what's going on there all in one spot. You don't have to turn away from this page as I just keep on scrolling. The U.S. has seen more accumulation. The words of John Kirby, the Pentagon press secretary, more accumulation of Russia combat forces near Russia's border with Ukraine and in Belarus over the past 24 hours. The past 24 hours. As some people are suggesting that things might be cooling off. Let's reassemble the panel. Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano with us today. We're also joined by Republican strategist Greta Joins. Great to have you both, Jeannie. What do you make of... This Obviously, Vladimir Putin is not backing down if he's going to keep showing off here. We look at the satellites, you see more troops, more tanks showing up in the midst of what some were hoping would be a cooling off period before the next round of talks. That's right. And we were talking yesterday. They left, uh, you know, two weeks to come back to the talks that they had yesterday. So we thought maybe between that and the pending Olympics where he wouldn't want to upstage President Xi, we might have some breathing room to the 20th. But then you just sort of hold your breath when you you read what's actually going on. And of course, there was also the the tone from the Kremlin saying there's not much cause to be optimistic that the West would meet Russia's demands. It's not clear what they will do about that. They said Vladimir Putin is taking some time to read the written responses. Um, But again, we are a month since December 23rd, over a month since he has spoken publicly, Vladimir Putin, about what is going on in Ukraine. And as we've discussed, even people who work with him and for him don't know what he's thinking on this. So a lot of this is really just up to one man. And it's very unclear at this point what Mm -hmm. this military sort of escalation means. Right. Kirby also said that we're going to speed up delivery of some defensive weapons to Ukraine. But there are there are folks on Capitol Hill and, and elsewhere in defense circles that think 
that we should be doing a lot more, that we should be sending Patriot missiles, maybe an Iron Dome type of system. The more that Vladimir Putin adds to the border, should we be adding more within the borders of Ukraine? I, I think that is something that especially con- congressional members are focusing on, and particularly on the Armed Services Committee. Mm-hmm. There is a really strong desire, in particular among defense hawks, to really fortify allies, both the Ukraine and other countries surrounding them, because this is a continuing action. Russia has been a adversary to many of the Baltic countries for a number of years. This isn't new to them. And they've been asking Washington for help for a long time. Well, how else do you show your serious genie? You know, I asked the, the, the ambassador about this. Why not just add the sanctions now. I know Rick Davis, uh, our colleague, is a fan of, of that view. Don't wait for anyone to cross the border. Hit him now. Show him you're serious. The ambassador feels like that would prompt uh, a situation that we don't want with Russia, that, that you know, that you would you'd get Putin off balance. He might do something stupid. In this case, though, you're acting within the bounds here of of the of Ukraine and could fortify them to deal with missile attacks, if if not some other systems that, to Greta's point, members of Congress are calling for. What are we waiting for? Well, you know, I, I think there are two schools of thought. And the, the one is sort of the Rick Davis school, which is that, you know, you hit him hard, you hit him now. Um, but as you, we just heard from the ambassador, and we've heard from many others, you know, there is also a downside to doing that. The, I, I was just talking to somebody, and you hear this in foreign policy circles, people who say they're not quite certain that when Vladimir Putin put these 100,000 troops on the border, that he wanted to enter troops into Ukraine, but that the the United States, NATO's response to that was unexpected and has escalated what otherwise may have been a what President Biden described as an incursion that was not as major as boots on the ground going into Ukraine. So, you know, you hit them with sanctions. Now you don't leave yourself open to do something should they act. And so I think there is arguments to be made on both sides. You want to make clear that if he does what you don't want him to do, they're going to be hit hard. And what he doesn't want to happen, NATO right on his border is yeah. going to be stronger than ever. But you take that away if you do it before he acts. We should note, by the way, that NATO's Secretary General, uh, Jens Stoltenberg, will speak with the Atlantic Council tomorrow. This is something that we're going to have years on, uh, talking about the alliance's response to Russia-Ukraine tensions. Greta, do you want to hear from an alliance? Do you want to hear from NATO, a unified uh, front, as as uh, the White House likes to say, or do you want to hear from the American president as the leader of this effort? I think you really have to hear from both. Obviously, there were a lot of hurt feelings between NATO and the U.S., in particular after what happened in Afghanistan. And I think that the president should be engaging aggressively with NATO in a way that ultimately he can echo their message as the United States message as well. Um, I I think this is an opportunity for them to to work on repairing that relationship. Mm -hmm. And frankly, I'm, I'm a little surprised that we haven't seen more of that message coming from the White House. How important is this meeting with Schultz from Germany? Uh, it's coming up next month, Jeannie, February 7, where they talk about joint diplomatic efforts to defuse tensions. Ambassador Fried says the Germans are coming around, but this is something we have to manage. 
we do have to manage it. You, you know, it, it's very clear when you look at energy prices in Europe and in Germany up 300 percent this year. There is a fear that if they go along with some of these sanctions, they will be hit hard domestically and the political reality will be too difficult for them to stomach. And so we have to make sure that Germany is with us. They have taken a what some people describe as a less than firm diplomatic stance so far mm-hmm. against Russia. And we need to make sure they are with us. So this meeting is going to be critically important. And I I was very heartened to hear that they're going to have it. Um, and I think that it's going to be important that they come out and show that that Germany and the United States and all of our NATO allies are aligned w- with with our response to Russia at how dangerous it would be if they do indeed enter Ukraine. I want to turn you both back to uh, domestic policy here in our remaining moments because uh, Congress is coming back next week. And Greta, I'd like to get your take on this since we have you here today. There are a lot of questions about what's left, what's worth pursuing in the Biden legislative agenda now that Build Back Better Uh, seems to have fallen apart, at least for now. But we've got an important date here on the horizon, February 18th. Nobody's talking about it because everything else that's happening in the world, but that's when government funding runs out. Greta, how important will it be for the president to keep this in motion and not have another continuing resolution, especially when with regard to defense while we're dealing with this situation in Ukraine? The Pentagon's going to start likely complaining about this at some point with its impact on our readiness. But this is one of the plates the president has in the air right now, still spinning, and and, and there's an omnibus budget that could actually make its way through Congress. It would be the most productive thing that happened this year. Can you get it done? It's it's a heavy lift, I'm not going to lie. I mean, it it certainly is feasible. I think that the most likely scenario we're looking at is probably, at the very least, a short-term CR. Um, Some of the conversations that need to have happened have not happened yet in return to getting an army done you know some of that i think you know is problematic because you just don't have members in town and able to meet with each with each other because of covid you know a lot of these are member to member conversations when it comes to these bigger pieces of legislation and cutting deals and covid has really hampered a lot of that so we we have a long ways to go i think before we can you know send an omnibus potentially to the president, I think we're looking at least one, maybe two short-term CRs in order oh, to, boy. to get What that message done. does that send, Jeannie, to kick the can again? Uh, you know, that Washington doesn't work. It's been a consistent message. We are 22 days away from February 18th. And, you know, we've we've also heard, interestingly, that as it pertains to this omnibus bill, that the House isn't even scheduled to be in session during the week of February 18th. So they get back next week and they aren't scheduled to be there by February 18th, um, that, that week. Changes. Now, that, that probably will change, hopefully, but this is a very short timetable. So, you know, I do think we are looking at continuing resolutions. It's a short-term funding patch. And that's, you know, to imagine we get something longer than that is difficult to imagine yeah. in the short time well, we have available. Forget your child tax credit, uh, right? If that's the case, that would have been the vehicle to potentially attach something like that onto Greta, or did you already give up on that? You know, I, I am I am not optimistic. I'll, I'll put it that way. I, I think there there are too many balls in the air in in terms of what exactly Build Back Better looks like after this. What exactly we're going to do with the child tax care uh, 
child tax care cre- credit. I do that all the and time. And ultimately, where where does Manchin and and other senators who have expressed some concerns about some of these broader social issues, where do they want to be? And and that is is still TBD. And at the fifty six minute mark here on the fastest hour in politics, we finally heard the name Joe Manchin. Jeannie, I think. <laughs> That's as long as we've waited for a couple of months. It's a record. Thank you, Gina. (laughs) It's a record. (laughs) Nicely done, Greta. And a great conversation with both of you. Great panel. Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano. Republican strategist Greta joins in her first turn here on The Fastest Hour. It's great to have you, Greta. Co-chair of the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek Technology and Telecom Practice. I suspect we're going to talk again, and I'll meet you back here tomorrow. On Balance of Power, high noon, New York time. We'll check traffic next. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.